It was the first time I ever dealt with nonstop pain. And um, that is also the only time I've sort of fallen into a suicidal depression with that compounded grief and that. And um, the long story short of it is in my darkest, scariest moments, um, shortly after reconnecting with Matt, I. Uh, I made a deal with whoever listens above and if we could get through that when I got through, I promised I would go back for the others. What is going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. Basically created to help redefine what it means to be a man in the modern world. I'm your co-host CK. And I'm Anwar Ahmed. And today we have an incredibly special episode coming to you today. We have a really special guest we are excited to bring on. And his name is Addison Brazil. He is the brand and impact founder at Tether, an app for men, and which we'll be talking a lot about today. He is the founder of Team Brother Bear, a nonprofit supporting children and families affected by brain tumors. He's had guest appearances on Fox News, TMZ, articles in New York Times. He's a conscious real estate connector through, I believe it's Addy Connect, uh, a mental health spokesperson, and has a dog named Hank Moody Jr. Addison, welcome to the podcast. Welcome Thank to the you. show, Addison. Yes. <laughs> Hank is the most important part of my bio. I'm going to add that officially to everything now. He's Hank at my Moody feet. Junior. Beautiful. Love that. Love that. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have this conversation with you because of everything you were involved in. There's so much we could touch on. But before we get into anything, as always, you know what time it is. Moochek. We'll start with Addison. How is your day? How is your mood? What's going on on your side? I love that. Um, I am, I'm good. I'm like eerily content right now. Good. There's like a lot to do and I'm blissfully just in the flow of it. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Love that. Amazing. Amazing. Kyle, how are you doing today? I feel, you know, I woke up, I feel a little discombobulated. Discombobulated. Yeah, I don't word. even know where that word came from, but that's how I woke up this morning. It was and has been a bit of a day already, and it's it's quite early. Um, so I'm working through some things, mm -hmm. but I'm excited for this conversation because this always lights me up. I feel like everything that's already happened so far today is, didn't happen. Yeah. I'm ready to go. No. I, know, I feel excited. I kind of resonate with you in that sense when like, if you have a massive to-do list and it's pouring rain out, your body starts to fight itself. Cause all you want to do is sleep. And like the covers are tough to get out of. Cause you're like, this is a rainy day. This is, I'm trying to sleep, but your to-do list is like, you need to have a big day today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so rough. I feel like maybe that discombobulation, cause I was feeling that this morning too, of like, I got a lot to get done, but man, I just want to watch three hours of movies in a row. Um, but I'm feeling great too. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I think that, you know, a lot of the stuff that you do, a lot of the work that you've been doing is so admirable um, and something that drives me too. just seeing your content, watching you kind of go through work, the work that you do and the people that you support, it's inspiring. And so, to get into your mind and to hear, you know, the words come from the horse's mouth. Um, I'm more ex so excited about that. So thank you for joining us for sure. Yeah. All, All right. right. Let's get into it. Getting into it. I'm going to, we're going to start with an icebreaker question. All right. As, um, as Kyle, there, the laundry list of things that you do. I remember watching one video on your Instagram post actually, where 
it was a, it was an inspiring post because you were talking about how people said you couldn't do this and mm. you 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 listed all these different things that happened for you in a month you know like you know you know doing the real estate thing managing the tether all the different things that you do you know your car makes up a bunch of different parts but what we want to know is what's the engine that drives Addison what is the engine that drives what you do every single day uh, and how does that correlate to who you are today as a person mm. Good one. Um, yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to say it's interesting because I actually deleted that post later, which I feel like I need to have a, a talk with myself about. Whoa. You know, we all have that like felt cute might delete later moment, even when it's in, like, <laughs> even when it's meaningful and like mental health driven. But yeah, it was weird. My like, I don't know. My Canadian side kicked in, and I was like, "Am I bragging? Like, what? Am I, like, you know? Like, you just <laughs> anyway." Uh, so I'll have a talk with myself about that because I think that was a really important moment to sort of celebrate at that time. But um, the engine, uh, two things immediately came to mind, connection and story. Um, I am so story driven. Everything that I do, uh, if you really blend it down, it's like weird because people see me as a multi-hyphenate and I am like a very intentional multi-hyphenate because there's so many sides of me but it's all down to connection or story driven. Real estate is just like my fantasy football. Like I just love yeah, real estate. Yeah. <laughs> so like a little less there, but everything else, like as a producer, a writer, everything with Tether obviously is so driven around connection and, and story. So um, yeah, that that drives me. I mean, my, my wealth is my relationships and the ones that I've cultivated over my lifetime. So that's mm. what drives me. Love that. I love that that's your fantasy football. That's a great yeah. fantasy football. <laughs> I love it. I'm just like, what did that sell for? How many offers? Like, it's just like, and so I got my license and, the, you know, whatever. And I do deals with friends and people who want to work with someone they trust and whatever. And it, it, it's, it's a perfect little mix for me. You know? Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, would, I, I have such an itch for real estate too, for that reason. Same. But everything, everything about that market says that you got to put all your head, you got to put your head down and learn it. And like, you know, it's such a, especially now, um, mm -hmm. everyone I feel like is becoming a real estate agent, especially in these markets that we live in. Um, and so See, hearing it as a fantasy football is just like makes me want to maybe scratch that itch a it's little bit. Kind of bit. more enticing, yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah. watch out. You know, we call it like the Zillow hole. He's like, you go down. You know, my friends would be like, "Why'd you get me doing this?" It's like three hours later, you're looking at condos in Nashville. It's like I'm Canadian. What am I doing? <laughs> Canadian. Um, so yeah, I, this, the question that I kind of wanted to, you know. Wanted to drive home is your story is, you know, very well known. Um, you've been through a lot of tragedy and challenges. And um, this is a two part question. I wanted you to first kind of dive into a little bit of that for maybe the viewers that don't necessarily fully know um, some of your story, but, you know, just the kind of Coles Notes version of that, um, that hardship that you've been through in your early, early, early life. Yeah. Um, so in addition to being incredibly lucky and privileged um, and loved and successful in many ways. I, I have had to um, navigate some pretty difficult challenges over the last decade. I am um, quick of it is I, I lost my brother to a brain tumor um, when I was 19. Uh, and then three years after that, I found my father after suicide. Uh, and then I sort of went out into the world, as I say, to the ends of the earth to try to figure out how to kind of be here and what it meant to be a man and what mental health was for me. And and how I could not just survive, like losing both the guys in my family. I mean, it went from three to one in like a blink of an eye and it was just very weird. 
Um, and on the cusp of sort of doing that, um, I, uh, I, I kind of came back to myself and uh, I was in LA and I, I went out to celebrate that um, with a friend and got into a very bad accident that killed my dear friend uh, and left me relearning to walk and with a brain trauma and just really, I mean, make sense of the world again. I mean, I always say whenever I do these, it was like just trying to run Mac on a Windows, like on a PC, <laughs> like it was just like, I couldn't compute any longer, like the these challenges. And, and the accident came with something I had never dealt with before. I'd always used my physical health and my body to get through stress and grief. And uh, with the accident, you know, obviously I, I couldn't walk at all and I was bedridden for months and then, you know, wheelchair walker and, but just chronic pain. It was the first time I ever dealt with nonstop pain. And um, that is also the only time I've sort of fallen into a suicidal depression with that compounded grief and that. And um, the long story short of it is in my darkest, scariest moments, um, shortly after reconnecting with Matt, I, uh, I made a deal with whoever listens above. And if we could get through that when I got through, I promised I would go back for the others. So you're catching wow. me there now. So um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's what happened. Some days it's like, I go to tell it and I start crying. And some days I just like laugh hysterically. Cause I'm like, what am I even saying? Like, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, grief is, grief is very tricky. And I, you probably heard me say this way too many times, but I just always say like, don't try to fix anything. Just honor the journey because like, you know, if you, oh. if you laugh, then laugh, if you cry, then cry, whatever mm -hmm. it is, because skipping anything will only take longer. So, wow. First of yeah. all, pe people listening, write that, write that little last bit down. That's, that's super, super fixing things. I think that men are also where we like to, we like solutions. Yeah. We like to fix things. And um, yeah, that I want, but I do want to kind of go back to what you were saying there. Cause it's kind of, kind of answered a little bit of my, the second question I had to kind of come off the back of that was, you know, that promise that you made um, mm. and the adversity that you're facing, how did you navigate such a, feeling of like the world's against me type of thing, you know, like that, that feeling of that overwhelming adversity of like, cause, cause I remember when, you know, I didn't even deal with tragedy. I just felt like sometimes the adversity of my life, I, I would find myself in a mental state of why me, why am I being singled out here and going through certain, um, chapters of life without you're looking to your left and they're not going through the same struggles as you to your right. We all have the same goals, but yeah. the wind is at your face and not at your back. How did you go through, you know, how did you get to that point of making that promise? What were the mental steps that you kind of went through from going from all that adversity to becoming the ultimate supporter? You know, it was interesting. And obviously like, again, which I should have done earlier, trigger warning, but when you lose and find a parent from suicide, um, you immediately inherit a lot of responsibility and a lot of just curiosity about how this can happen. Um, and so the, the one gift from my dad is obviously that I, there was no way for me not to take my mental health seriously and no way for me not to educate myself after that point. Uh, as far as when I got to that point uh, in the suicidal depression and sort of making that promise, I was very fortunate because I had been coached by my mentor, um, Jennifer Merrifield, who's actually from Toronto. Um, and she like, craziest story ever. I, you know, this, this is a common theme 
yeah, I'm writing my book and like, this is like a weird, like common thing, but like, I, I sort of lost my sense of God or more Faith. with, yeah, with not so much with my brother, but with my dad. And part of that was the PTSD and flashbacks. I, I just, there couldn't be anything other than what everybody could see because I was having trouble navigating my reality a little bit. Um, and so everything kind of had to go. And I had this feeling when my dad's presence was with me all the time. And so in order to like, sort of be like, that's not possible. I felt like I kind of lost my idea of God, universe, energy. Like I, I had to get rid of all of it. And that was, that was very lonely. Um, and so the weird thing is I always talk about this too. It's like, there's this like deep loneliness we experience before we start to do the work. Right. And then, so we start to do the work and I had told whoever above that I needed help. And the next morning I got on a plane and and somebody got up and I turned to my right and that was Jennifer Merrifield sitting there. And for five hours, she coached me back and then has become, you know, the greatest force of good in my life. So like, like as much as you heard, like the three plot points at the beginning of this, like the terrible awfuls that have happened to me. I mean, like, that's also equally as wild and magical. Like, that's just crazy that, you know, um, that I asked for help. I sat down you know she saw the shock she's like did you ask for help and i was like yeah this is weird like this is really <laughs> weird and um but anyway like i just for me it was like that loneliness is what drove all that and working with her and then obviously the accident happened and so much of our work was um in response to trauma and in response to what had happened um but we did a lot of work around mindset and I really had worked out of sort of this victim mindset, regardless of, of what had happened or where I had been when certain things happened. And she really did help me realize that like in a world where you can change nothing, you know, you can't, it's like the genie rules. You can't bring someone back from the dead. You can't make people <laughs> in that world. It is okay. And actually very therapeutic to find how it benefited you where you found more compassion, where you found more empathy. And I couldn't do that for years because I felt like I was saying, I'm glad my dad died because now I am blank. Or like, you know, people would say everything happens for a reason. And I'd be like, I don't like this reason. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't say that to me again. <laughs> like, yeah. I would be like, please don't say that. You know? Like, so like, it was like weird. People were like, you're gonna go and like be famous. And I'm like, so my brother dies, so I have an Oscar? Like that, I don't mm. like this deal. You know, like I just didn't. Mm. And, I, and so she really helped me with that. But um, what I was saying is like, once you start to do that work is you get to that second lonely. It's like where you've started to do the work and, and you want community and you want connection at that level, you know, where you're doing that. And, and that's really where I found myself. So it wasn't so much that in those darkest moments that I felt victimized, it was that I was almost ashamed that I had come so far and I couldn't like, you know, Joe Dispenza my mind out of this moment. Like I, I felt like woke shame. Like that I, that I just, I couldn't transcend the pain. I, you know, I was like, but the power of thoughts and like, that's, I mean, they told me I wouldn't go to the wheelchair for months. And I was like six weeks, like up, no, we're doing this. So like, I thought I was, you know, mm -hmm. this like superhero <laughs> listening to like Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza and working with my coach and all this stuff. And so it was just, it felt like failure, like just such failure for me when it came to that. And, and when I made that promise, it was, it was mostly for my mom. Um, like I just, I really got to a low point where, and I've said this before publicly, like where I just started crying in my therapist's office and he's like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And I just remember saying like, 
I just feel like if you talk to my mom and my sisters and you told them how painful it is and how much I'm struggling and how much I want to be here, but it's just not working, I feel like they'd understand. And I was essentially like asking him to explain to them it would be okay if I wasn't here. And that's when obviously things got a little bit more serious. And for the first time in my whole life, I gave up sort of co-parenting and even parenting and became a child and let my mom babysit me for like 30 days. And Mm. in the midst of that, that's where that's where sort of that promise came up because I don't know how to explain it other than like people, I think everybody has different ideas of suicidality and I think everyone's the expert of their own experience, obviously. But in my experience, I desperately, desperately wanted to live, but I felt like I was losing. We were just in game seven and we were not up. Mm. And like, it was like the, like the whole series, like I was losing and I knew I was losing. And I was sitting in a room with my mom feeling immense guilt and would go in the other room and start crying. And when I really thought about why I was crying, I felt so bad that I could be that close to my mom and be that close to possibly, you know, the end of my life. Like I just, you know, I couldn't figure out what to do and and how to do it. So I did all the things. I mean, I, I called the hotline for the first time. It was actually really dope. I actually, you know, I thought I was like, if there was a scale, which there is like five out of five suicidal, found out I was like barely a one based on their, like what they were doing. So that really helped. Um, and just, I, I, everyone kept saying like, especially the, my friends in like the coaching community just kept saying like, what if you just surrender? Like, what if you just accept the pain all the time? What if you just surrender? And to me, I was very afraid that surrender was going to be the end of me like if I just let go because I you know and eventually I had no choice other to other than doing that and you know there was a death but there was an immediate rebirth for me luckily and things just started to align and again when I when I allowed my community to actually support me as you know corny as that sounds like my extended community like that's when it all started to align like the person who got my body back in shape is actually like um, a doctor from Oakville that my best friend was like, just go, I'll pay. Like just, you know, and you know, it just came so, I was in Beverly Hills going to all these doctors. And then I end up in my hometown with, you know, the physical therapist that's trained everybody I know and just like working every day and making sure that the strength and the resilience came back. And, and now today I'm, I can't believe that I was ever in that room making that promise with God, but like, you know, I have barely no pain at all ever. And um, obviously in a much different state. So um, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's weird. Like it's wor- like, honestly, like when I, when I, when I agreed to start talking about this stuff, like that's sort of the caveat is like, once I bring up the traumas or once I bring up like admitting suicidality it's like i don't know what's gonna mm-hmm. come with it you know so a lot of the times i'm as surprised as anyone else when i'm doing these things i'm like hmm. okay. good i like that well i mean i appreciate you sharing and you know i think that whether you answered the question or not i think at that point everything that you shared is beyond the question and it was beyond the value that could have came from simply just answering the question so i really appreciate that and the way that it went because I was, I was, it's an experience. Yeah. I was, I felt like I was engulfed in in a, in a a whole experience. So Mm. definitely answered the question in my Mm -hmm. opinion. And you can tell that you have worked through this a lot because of your ability to speak on it 
in the way that you do and the clarity that comes from that. If you had only spoken on it twice, it would be way less detailed mm -hmm. and I wouldn't mm -hmm. be going through so many stages. And I think that's just a testament to the process of being willing to have those conversations and have that vulnerability and that courageous share. So it's a big testament to your strength. So appreciate that. Thank you. So we could talk about that, I think, for uh, an entire episode. Absolutely. Uh, I think there's a lot to pull out of there, but to take it in a bit of a different direction here, we got to thinking about the caliber of challenges that you have gone through and the willingness to continue to pursue and now and to be in a space where you're supporting other men. And one of the things that got us thinking was the involvement of the ego in the process. Right. Men are very ego led, very ego driven. And this is a question of more of a general sense, not to say that you've been in this space, but I know for myself, one of the things that I've caught myself doing is comparing my story to someone's who was worse and therefore feeling like my story is no longer valid because mm. it's not as challenging or doesn't come across as challenging. So for you being someone who comes from the more challenging space, how are you able to approach other people's tragedy and other people's struggle and maybe trauma without the involvement of your ego? Or do you even have thoughts of, of maybe ment mentally, if my trauma is bigger than theirs. And so it's hard for me sometimes to listen. I don't think that's your space, but I know like for me, I think I might get caught up in that if I was in your position mm. inside my head, maybe not externally. Uh, and men, you know, we, we wait for catastrophic events. So if I'm just simply saying something like I've had a hard day to Addison, but Addison's been through X, Y, and Z, you know, part of me would feel like mm, Addison doesn't really take this seriously. And so my question would be, I guess, I think coming back to it, how do you handle your ego that comes up when it's, when it's in that space? Yeah. You know, I used to struggle a lot with my ego a lot more before that sort of death and rebirth that we just talked about. That mm -hmm. was definitely one of the benefits of, of that experience is I had to let go a lot of what didn't serve me because otherwise I wasn't going to be here. Um, so, I mean, again, shout out to Jen, um, but critical measuring and comparison were a big part of what needed to go for me. Um, and, you know, if you're measuring or comparing or justifying and it's not in a way that serves you or anybody else. It just kind of went. And I talk about this a lot with Matt, my co-founder of Tether. Um, you know, I say this thing where it's not like you get fixed, like we talk about, or it's not like you get to this destination, but in the most easiest of terms, how I explain it is I got too smart to be dumb. So spending my time doing those things, it was like, I literally would feel stupid if I was comparing or if I was. Mm. Um, and it's funny, like when you say like in comparison to, I think it's just like, I don't think there's like right or wrong or like sort of like a scale of what people have been through and who's is worse and who's better. It's just like the truth of where they're at. You know, that's really how I do think about that. And remember like, you know, I've been, you know, I was just to the left of these three events, you know, and, um, you know, just to the left and living is like a big part of that. And so people look at my story and you think, oh, you've been through so much trauma and tragedy, but like a big part of when I, when I did work with Jen was, was realizing that and 
being okay to celebrate that, like in a way that like, yeah, that's really awful and that's really bad. But on the other side of it, like I'm just to the left, I'm here. I have, you know, a chance to build my daily relationship with my grief and whatever else every day. Um, but but yeah, I, 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 I get to be here, I guess. And I just, I know that like, even within my own experiences, I have been ghosted and felt way worse about that than I did about, you know, on a, on one singular day about something else or, you know, just something happens and it just, it, it rubs all of the parts of you that are like, I feel worthless, you know, and it's, it's, it's so connected obviously to everything I've been through, but also it's just not. And so, you know, that's one thing with all of my friends that like, I really had, you know, again, again, teach people how to treat you. I really had to reteach all my friends that I wanted to hear about broken nails and flat tires. Mm. And because mm. they were denying me my role, which like I spent all these years cultivating, like, you know, I say this all the time. I feel like I'm one of the most supportive people on earth. Like I have so many good, 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 deep connections with so many people around the world. And like when people started to do that, where they felt a little weird about sharing because it like, you know, it comparatively seemed like it didn't matter. I was losing my identity in that. It's like, I wanted to help them navigate where they were going through. And it, it just, it wasn't working. I mean, yeah, like if there's also like, you know, once you are, you know, coaching and learning and all that stuff, there's also a point where you're like, okay, but like, also like, you're not gonna let you call me and victimize yourself for an hour every day either. Mm -hmm. You know, like, let's, let's see what serves all of us, yeah. you know, and move <laughs> forward, you know, that's, that's like that second lonely I talked about, you know, where it's like, I'm not going to go down the hole with you, but um, I've trained to stay at the top of it and be right here and help you when you're back at the top. But like, you know, obviously I have to be careful about, where I go even and that's like the same as like, you know, I'm a big, big um, fan of conscious um, conscious uh, consumption of content. And like, even for me, like, I mean, you go too far down Mad Men or whatever. And it's like, mm -hmm. you got the whiskey and the moody and like, it's like, that's not helping. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, this just isn't helping. And, and, you know, there's just a little bit more responsibility around that stuff. But I honestly, I, I have found my home in Tether because there is no hierarchy mm. because I have said from day one, I am nothing more than a peer. You know, I may be a co-founder and I may be the one, you know, building the brand and whatever, but when it comes to two men, no matter what, there's no hierarchy. Matt's not, you know, any higher up than anybody else. We're not facilitators. We're not coaches. I, when I said like, I want to go back for the guys because I'm one of the guys and we built mm. Tether for us. So it's like, that has been my saving grace is like, I'm just a peer my biography of what I've been through actually doesn't amount to a PhD or anything. Like I'm, I'm, you know, as much as I'm sure it could, you know, <laughs> like um, I'm just a peer. And so I, you know, I'm here to listen to whatever your true struggle is. And I don't know when someone's hurting it, for me, it doesn't really matter why, you know, it's just like, what can we do to, you know, get help you to get yourself moving again, you know, not stuck. Mm -hmm. For sure. And could you could you share some of that coaching that your coach gave you on, you know, how to not let, you know, comparison be the thief of joy in mm -hmm. terms of like, because um, I think that there's a lot there, especially with like men. I think that we sometimes 
you know, we don't share our feelings because of that exact same thing, right? We're like this group or this environment isn't just going to say they're going to make the hierarchy mm-hmm. and they're going to they're going to make whatever I'm saying or whatever I'm going through not valid. So I got to go find different spaces. And I see a lot of brotherhoods get broken up because of that hierarchy of like, I feel so alone and I got to go somewhere else because I can't open up to this group. I can't open up to this. So if there's somebody that's listening and they're like, you know what, I might be in that position where I constantly am always like, you're well, you should man up. Like you should be able to deal with that. That's not even that serious. So that's not even that hard. What would be some coaching around that person who wants to, you know, hear about the flat tire and the broken nails and they want to let their ego down? Um, what was some coaching that your coach gave you? I'm just curious about that. If, if yeah, you have um, on that specific point. I think also like the biggest part of it, and again, I'm not a coach, but like through my learnings, um, the, the biggest part in that I think is like, the active listening part of it, like making it truly about the other person, like, and, and, and really acknowledging their experience and allowing like them to be the expert of their experience. If it's the worst day of their life, it's the worst day of their life. Like they are telling you, you know, uh, and it takes a lot off of us. Um, as far as like how that, you know, those tools really served me, I think the easiest way, you know, it's like, I listened to so many podcasts too. And like, you know, especially in my days of need, uh, read every book and, you know, and it's like, I could tell you right now that um, critical measuring and comparison and justification don't serve you and not to do it. But I all what I what worked for me is when I was invited for the next week to look at a situation every time and, and just just notice when you are comparing when you are measuring and when you are justifying. So if you, you know, I'm going to go do this and then you start telling the person like why you deserve it or, you know, why you should, or, you know, all these things, we can mm-hmm. get into the should and have tos and all that another time. But um, just like, just notice whenever other people are speaking and whenever you're speaking, if, if, and, and I challenge you because I've never really won this challenge, but if you can win where comparison, um, like unhealthy comparison, critical measuring, like I have this, they have that or justifying a choice or action serves you then keep it you know what i mean but spoiler alert generally <laughs> it doesn't and it's just and again like just have fun with it laugh like that like this all my coaching like was tied to my dark sense of humor and like you know the way that i could laugh about it because otherwise you're just angry all the time and wishing you know people showed up differently and mm. you know what i mean and comparing and measuring mm. um and you're right back in the loop so i i do think that like just kind of noticing and having fun with it like it's just like oh okay okay <laughs> all right he's gonna measure okay like and you're like yeah. okay you know i had this whole thing with like diapers like whenever i would sort of do something out of my limits like it was just like oh someone needs their diaper change and it would make me laugh though and because you have to think of it like a baby like you're not you don't know all this stuff right you're Mm -hmm. rewiring and relearning and it was just like okay the baby needs a nap okay Mm, and it's just my way of like not like holding yourself like as like this 30 year old man who should be blank you know, mm-hmm. it's like, no, this is a child. Okay. Okay. Let, let's lay down and let's take it slow. Like, you know, <laughs> and with other people, I mean, 
I can't, so many friends just like laughing so hard because, you know, people are talking to me and they're completely victimizing themselves. And you know, like, you know, because you can't not know what you know and it's not yeah. serving them, it's not serving you. And you're just there and you're just like going, oh, I hope they have a lot of diapers. Like, you know, because it's like <laughs> lovingly, you know, it's like the baby has to learn, like, you know, so it's yeah. just like, but it makes you laugh rather than like, there's no point in any of it if you're like being critical of yourself while trying not to be critical. Like, mm. you know, it's just, at least never worked for me, but um, I think it can be fun, uh, all that stuff. But I think it comes becomes immediately unhealthy if you don't allow for it to be fun mm. in some way. But I would definitely do that challenge. I would definitely just notice what you notice, discern, not judge, because that would be all those three things we talked about, you know, but just, you know, I spent almost a year just noticing. Hmm. Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> just, okay, cool, you know, and I don't think that ends. I think that just kind of continues, you know? Mm. Yeah. I'm a big believer in self-awareness. I think that it can lead you down um, a very, very successful path. If you do it correctly, you know, self-awareness, mm -hmm. I feel like is the first step to all things. You know, if you can be aware of it, it might take time on how to act on it or do something productive for progressive. But if you can just have that hmm, mm -hmm. moment and then yeah. see patterns and hmm, See that and one again, too. like we said at the beginning, there's no fixing. It's it's always going to be a daily relationship. So do not waste years novelty hunting for the one thing that's going to make you the man you want to be or the woman you want to be or the person you want to be. Like mm -hmm. it's it's not how it works. It's a daily relationship. I had this morning, I had yesterday little mm, and you know what? It's harder when you're self-aware because you know exactly what you did. <laughs> right. And you're like, mm, but you're like, shut the fuck up. You're like, okay. Like, you know, it's like this happens every day. It's not like, okay, now I'm self-aware. You know, mm -hmm. now I'm whatever the hell they say, woke or whatever. You know, like it's not, no. Every single day, same with the grief, same with everything. You know, it's what is my daily relationship with this and how can I honor it? Not, mm. is it fixed to you? I love uh, that. That's a killer. And it is a testament for me too of listening to that. I was just gonna I was gonna ask a question around it, but it's not necessary because I think you just answered it. But the idea that you know healing and overcoming trauma and difficult challenges is is a is a journey. It's not really a result. I feel like a lot of people are looking to heal a specific wound for it to forever be gone. And I think that for me, at least, I think time is a beautiful thing. But I think when we say time is a healer, we're still thinking there's going to be an end time. And there's often not. It shows up yeah, in its own I way. Mean, and it's a daily I practice. I just ranted the other day on this. Like That's kind of like the <laughs> everything happens for a reason. When people say time heals all wounds. Time and a lot of inspired action, bro. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like a lot, a lot. of self-awareness inspired <laughs> action and hard work you know it doesn't just like wasn't just me and the clock like, you know? honestly but, yeah waking and, up and, and starting the timer then, yeah you know what is healing um being okay with the daily relationship of the loss being okay mm -hmm. with the daily you know that is your healing it's not gone you know mm -hmm, I, I mean i tried to get one of these things where they just make you forget like, sure, I'll get, you know, drill in the eye and, you know, just start over. Sure, but, you know. I love yeah. it. It's funny, on the part of the healing journey, something that I've been curious about since we started this and since I really came to realize this fact about you yesterday is what part of your healing has been helped or supported by Hank Moody Jr. Mm -hmm. and 
to add to that, can you give some context as to why his name is Hank Moody Jr.? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so again, like the way my sense of humor works, just like Hank Moody is a character from Californication, which is obviously gotcha. not the image of men's mental health that we're striving for. Mm. Uh, if you watch Californication, okay. it's a great show. Um, and I say that like it's a great show because it should live on a show and no man should act like that. So please hold the canceling like, love. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a and it's a show that honestly you wouldn't make now either. And I totally acknowledge that mm. either. You know, it's just um, it's it's stuck in those old norms. That seven percent of masculinity that nobody really, you know, goes for. But but he's a mess. And um, I don't want to butcher it. But anyway, part of that time that healing time that we talked about. So I sort of went from that month with my mom. And then my next safe step was my best, best friends from Toronto, like kind of took me to a cottage for the weekend. And like, it was weird because like, I wasn't drinking, I wasn't like partaking in it. Everyone was aware that essentially I was being babysat. Um, but it was like trusted babysitting in like, you know, the beginning of the rest of my life. Uh, and we watched Californication all weekend long. Um, and ah, uh, it's probably on Hank. I think it's on Hank's Instagram bio. We'll have to pull it up. But the quote from from the show um, that he says just like kind of hit me. And um, anyway, I like I. It was just of the time, and I was looking for Hank. And really, Hank was about playing into the fact that I would never not take care of another living being at a time when I didn't want to take care of myself. And so I want. I, so our house was like a zoo growing up. Like we had like. I'm not even kidding you. Like I was trying to explain this to my friend the other day and she was like, like we had like at, so many dogs during different times. And like my brother had a dog and it like through cancer, like it was just there with him. My sister had a dog and actually my sister's dog was my brother's dog's mom. Like, I mean, just one of those houses where like, there's always kittens, do you want one? Like it was just lizards, rats, the whole thing. But I never actually had like a pet, um, like that was like mine that I was like bonded with like as, as my own. So I was never really a believer in it. Like I used to be like, I'll never get a dog. Like, and just like, you know, they shed and, you know, my perfectionist didn't like that stuff. So, <laughs> um, but it just, it's such a weird thing. Cause Hank Moody, like you're, I love that you're asking this because he's like the biggest metaphor for everything. Because also before that hard time, like I had written what my life would look like. And so actually he just passed, but one of our family dogs, Mowgli was a Bernie's mountain dog. And after my dad died, I lived with my uncle and it was their dog. And at a time where I felt really isolated with my experience, like we were talking about earlier with the PTSD and everything that I was going through, and I really couldn't connect with people. I really connected with my uncle's dog. And I would just like lay with him and whatever. And so like, I used to say like, I want Mowgli, but smaller and he doesn't shed. And at that time there was no like Bernadoodle, like that was like, you know, so it was like, yeah, okay, whatever. But I had like made this list of things that I wanted and it's like, you know, my own place, like these certain things and, and this, this mini Bernadoodle dog that didn't exist yet or whatever. And it's, it's, so it is really cool that that exists, but um, sorry, I'm rambling because I'm a father <laughs> who loves his son, um, but this is so weird, but like, he just like, he was mine from the moment that I saw him. I flew to Ohio to get him. Like it was this whole thing. And he just like, I don't know. It just, he, he, he has saved my life in so many ways. Like he, it's just, I never understood it with the connection you can have. But like, I mean, I tell him I love him like 50 times a day. And I also understand that Hank is like an unusual, like 
cuddle monster. Like his idea of a good time is just like flopping on your chest and um, like laying there or whatever. But anyway, also at the time I wanted to name him Henry. My dad's name was Henry. Um, and I love King Henry, like from the Tudors. And so I was like, everyone's like, you can't name your dog King Henry. I was like, okay. Um, and so I'd been watching the show and we have to pull the quote. Maybe we can put it in the show notes because I love this quote. Um, something, what happens next is up to you, but um, I'll send it to you. But, um, but it's basically saying like in the characters like really kind of messed up and it's, you know, what happens next is up to you. And um, I changed it to us when I got Hank and my mom had said, well, why not Hank? Because people who are close to your dad used to call your dad Hank, like Henry. And then it was just like, Perfect oh, that's storm. Hank. That's Hank. So yeah, I mean, from the moment I got him and like even right now, just always with me. Like I cannot explain this connection. I was watching a documentary about orcas the other night, like mm -hmm. the way they're intuitive. And I was like, this is Hank. Like he just, and I speak to him in plain English and he knows, and it's just like, I don't know, but... But really, like, at a time when everybody was like, I don't think you should be trying to train a puppy. And I don't think, like, you should be getting a dog and taking on more responsibility, considering, you know, you, you didn't want the responsibility of your own life, like, three weeks ago, mm -hmm. you know, low-key. People were <laughs> like, I don't know. But for me, I am, I've always wanted to be a dad. Everything I've done has, like, been about, like, getting to a place where I felt comfortable being a dad after navigating what happened with my own dad and just everything in my own childhood. And it just ignited for me. There was no way I was not going to take care of this guy. Like it just, and I got started getting up every morning and you know, the, all, all of it. And, mm. you know, even to the, like to this day, the hard days don't matter because Hank has to go out by seven 30. So mm -hmm. it's just like, you know, and I love that because it's, it's a partnership in that way. And mm. um, yeah, I got really lucky. You guys can borrow him anytime too, because although he's extremely loyal, he's like, more loyal to any sort of love and cuddling so he'll like go pretend to be your dog sleep in your bed for three days and then just like come back to me like he didn't go like actually if you watch the show very hank moody of him he goes and stays with her for days and then yeah. like comes back and it's like you know you love me and i'm like oh, okay, okay. <laughs> i yeah, love that highly uh, suggest beautiful i i i ask because i'm interested right now in that process mm. of, of bringing that kind of member into my space. So um, I appreciate all that insight because I have the same thoughts of, you know, I want to take care of myself. And if I add this in, can I still do both at the same time? And it almost kind of helps you take care of yourself. Like you said, there's some routines and habits that you do mm. now that help the support the dog, obviously, but also help support you. So mm. I love that. And uh, in speaking of that quote, I did find it. Uh, so it says here, all those things that weren't supposed to happen, they happened. But what happens next is up to you. I believe that's the one you were referencing. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. That's when the Addy and Hank Moody team started. <laughs> I, got, I got goosebumps because that's where I was at. That's where mm -hmm. I was at. I was coming out of that. And, and when we was watching that with all my brothers and I, like, I just knew that they were so worried about me. And like, you know, and when I heard that, it was just like, this is the surrender. Like, yeah, it happened, Addison like stop fighting. It happened. Mm. It's not, it doesn't define you. It's, it's, it is part of your story. It's your strength. Like it happened mm. now what, you know, and that, that's really where, you know, that rebirth happens. Um, for sure. Beautiful. No, I love that. And um, I was listening to a podcast that you were on before and you talk about this uh, moment when you're, you're, you're supporting Matt and you're like, 
peeled over at a, in a Boston Traders and like you're going through it and you got nothing left to give and you're trying to support Matt through the pain that he's going through. And, you know, I, when I think of the, you know, your relationship with Hank Moody Jr., it mm-hmm. just feels like that, like, you know, I, yes, I am not in a place to take care of myself, but I can fight every day to take care of you. And through that process, I'll gain strength. Um, because if, if what I'm doing to you is giving you joy and excitement and support, then surely I'm capable of giving that back to myself. I just don't believe in that process right now. And I'm going to try and find it from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you were telling that whole story, I just pictured you kind of in that Boston traders um, supporting Matt in a time when you needed support yourself. So. Yeah. It's so weird. I, that memory is like, it's so visceral. Like I, it was like, you know, like it was crouched, like some emergency was happening, but it was just like me, like my vision, even of that, like, I remember that phone call so vividly and just like, you know, I always say the Matt moment, Matt was the first guy who like, I didn't already know and love that ever admitted to me that like, he didn't want to live and he didn't want to die. And it changed my whole life because I was just like, we're allowed to say that to each other. Okay. Mm. I think there's hope. Like you, like, I was like how, how can I support you? You know? And, and that was the beauty of Matt and I going through it at the same time. We had to understand what real peer support was. We had mm-hmm. to be in a position where either person could support or be supported. And that's like the fundamentals of Tether. Like that's what the community lives off of is like, it can't be, you know, I call it like selfish lovers. Like it, it you can't be like, I'm here to be supported a hundred percent of the time at any moment it's going to switch. And like you guys said, and it, it doesn't matter if what they need support around is as big as your worst day. It's, you know, it's that ebb and flow because I mean, for me, really, that's the point of being here, mm-hmm. you know, that having that, I mean, I just, and that's another big part of tether. It's not guilt, but it's, I, when I look back at the last 10 years, you know, coaching and, and self-awareness, of course, but community, 100% community. That's the only reason why I'm here. That's why I'm having this conversation. And I'm a very good community builder that's been proven by the cult- relations I've cultivated. So if I can, in going back and joining the other men, build a community so they can have what I had, you know, um, then, then yeah, that's, it was just like, I'm in, you know, how do we do this man? So that's how you randomly become a tech founder. <laughs> Get my book. <laughs> how to become a tech founder in COVID. Um, yeah. No, hopefully nobody needs that book and we're on the way out. <laughs> no. COVID did it. <laughs> you kind of touched on something that I wanted, we wanted to ask um, in, in that, in that story there were saying we getting reconnected with Matt and realizing like there was another man that was still, you're like, whoa, we're allowed to say this. Um, me and Kyle had an episode on the podcast called who is Simba's father? Um, because in that story, he loses his father figure early too, right? So he's on this quest of trying to figure out how to be a man and how to, you know, go through the rest of life. Uh, and there's Timon and Pumbaa help him on that journey. Nile help him on that journey. So we created an episode around, well, who is Simba's father? If his father mm-hmm. wasn't around, how did he learn those skills? Um, and then, you know, obviously coming on this interview, I was like, Addison has this similar kind of just a position where he has to go now. Not only did he lose his brother, he lost his father. So what I wanted to ask was, where did you, how did you go about navigating who was your father figure or who your male figure was, or how did you go about that process of not only figuring out your identity, but figuring out who you are as a man 
because the second question I'm going to ask once you answer that is you could have done anything in terms of a podcast or a show or but you chose to pick the man route. So I wanted to know Ooh. how did you navigate choosing that path specifically when you really could have, you know, chosen a many different paths because we kind of did the same thing with our podcast. We mm-hmm. were going to pick a, a self uh, the self-development podcast and we chose right. to get more niche and get more specific. How was that thinking process for yourself? Yeah. Um, okay. The father figure part. Um, well, before my dad's passing, that is something that sort of, like I said, like my parents are very young and my older sister and I, at least the younger ones need to be kids more, but the old, my older sister and I, we, we really were active in co-parenting and we say that lovingly and it's just, you know, the truth. And when I look at it now, like my mom's only 53 now. Right. So it's like, how young was she with four kids? Like, I like, I can't even imagine I'm 32 and I'm like, you know, she, we were already like, you know, 12 yelling at her. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, my parents were very young and um, I have never talked about this before, but you, you're opening it up. But I, from a very early age, didn't think men were powerful. Mm. Um I saw very easily, especially with my father, um, but with most of the men in my life, how they were controlled by money, uh, women. Like I, I could just see very, how easily things could be manipulated and switched. And I'm like, I was like that like promise kid, like, but you promised, like, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I think that's my trigger sentence. But you promised like really wasn't. And just seeing how I just, I don't know, my, maybe my mom was just like this force, but like, I mean, I didn't think any man was more powerful than my mom. Like, I just didn't. And like, not even like in a like badass way, just like truthfully, like it was just like, if I'm going to be something, you know, I want to have control. Now with that and like, uh, you know, now she's like even sharing coaching stuff with her and whatever, like that gave her her own set of challenges as well. But I just, I... I growing up, honestly, just like really, really looked up to women. Like I just thought they were so strong in the way they could be composed and have integrity. But like, like it just like, it just seemed to me like if it got too hard, a man gave up, which is so funny because, because obviously I was looking at it through an emotional lens, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's not like, you know, most people say like, he never gives up, you know, whatever right. it is. But if it got too hard emotionally, if it got to a true conflict, I saw men give up. Um, and um, my grandfather, my mom's dad was always a huge, huge, huge mentor to me. And he just, a different kind of man, just like an old school gentleman. And like, you know, would teach me about old Hollywood and never heard him raise his voice. And just, you know, like there were just these things that I really liked because I remember because my parents divorced when I was three, like I was mostly around my mom. And then like, I remember like, I would just be uncomfortable when people's dads were around. And like, I just, this is that feeling. And I think a lot of little boys have that feeling like when an an adult man, that's not necessarily empathetic or like, you know, compassionate and my, just so you guys know, like my dad, like the most loving, like, I mean, just smothering us like kisses Mm -hmm. and like bristle beard and like, (laughs) like, you know, like, so it wasn't like any sort of stoic, like, you know, story like that or anything but but mostly other men i just i didn't get it i really didn't get it like i just kind of was like i don't want to be like that you know i just saw the power and the emotionality and and just 
you know, showing up. I, I think I really, I, I liked that a lot and I didn't see a lot of men doing that. So um, when, you know, right before my dad passed, we actually didn't speak for a year. Um, and that's something I always have a hard time saying because obviously, you know, that comes with a lot of emotions, but it was so necessary after my brother passed for everybody in our family, but especially my father and I, to navigate our grief processes separately. There was a bit of that hierarchy we talked about earlier, and that's another reason why it doesn't exist in my life. You know, my brother was my mother's kid, you know, but we're grieving the same person, but it's totally different relationships. You know, for, for my sisters, they still have a brother, but he was my only brother. You know, like there, there was just like all these, you know, and, and literally, I mean, my mom moved out to the East Coast, to the ocean. My sister moved to Australia. I moved to California. I mean, we, at, you'd think when something like that happens, it's like you're scared and we have to see each other as much as possible because people die and it's scary. But we actually had to like go to separate seas and heal and like not be on top of each other because we were too close. Like, because we were just too close, especially my older sister and I are like twins. Like it just, mm-hmm. you know, and it was not competitive, but that's the only word I could like give it if you weren't there, like how you might like feel that way. But it wasn't competitive in nature of like, no, I'm grieving the hardest, but it felt like that, you know, a little bit. And, and that's something that we're all at peace talking about because nobody was doing anything wrong. We just, you know, we're all navigating at the same time. But, um, yeah, so I had sort of made this decision to step away from like my father for a time while I kind of figured out what kind of man I wanted to be in the world after my brother's death. And then after that, he had his second divorce and we got very, very close for the six months up until he passed. Like he learned how to text. It was every nine minutes. Like it just was like, you know, and I really got to know him in a totally different way. And oh, that that I wanted more of like that. I wanted more of, you know? Um, and of course I'm, I grieve that every moment of every day. Cause I, I wanted more of that, but the beauty of it is like, kind of like Simba, I guess, like I, I learned to father myself in some ways earlier and it was mostly born out of, this weird want and responsibility to become a father myself. So I, I started doing it earlier and I started deciding what worked for me earlier. And, um, you know, I'm the perfect example of like, it takes a village. Um, somebody actually recently said to me, it takes a village and a vineyard, uh, which I don't disagree. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, yeah, about raising kids. I was like, that's a, yeah, that's actually hilarious. I'm going to steal that. Um, but yeah, no, like it, it does. And I've always been very receptive to to sort of splitting that responsibility, I guess, and taking on a lot of it myself. Um, God, uh, you know, I just want to say that like my dad did so well, like he did so well with what he had. And I just, I was not this emotionally intelligent 10 years ago. The world was not, this, there was no tethers. My dad had no one mm. like, you know, and he just didn't want to be a burden to his son. And I didn't want me me to see him that way, you know? So, but, oh my God, he he did so well. I mean, like he supported the, he didn't know what love was, but he tried to show it in every way possible, like from his own upbringing. I mean, he just, he did so well. And like, I'm so glad that I can take that now. Of course, I wish that I could thank him and say to him, because I don't think he left us knowing that. Um, But but he did so well. And uh, both my parents, I mean, it's just, 
I mean, sometimes like I like to get Hank ready and me on a podcast by, you know, 9am sometimes like, I mean, like they did well, like, you know, <laughs> the bills come in, the money comes, the money goes like if there were four kids and like, you know, two households and, you know, they did so well. Um, but yeah, that's okay. That was one way too long. Part two of the question was, what was part two of the question? That wasn't too long, by the way. That was just, that was perfect. Um, part two was, why did you choose the route of men? Mm. Um, because you could have gone any direction. Um, and we could have gone any direction in the episode, like how we, when we were in those brainstorming rooms, because we know this to be true, we had multiple checklists on this side, multiple checklists on this slide, back to the drawing board, and we we felt pulled to the men's space specifically. Mm. Um, was there a pull for you? Was there a specific decision? Um, was there a time it clicked and you said, I want to go this route? What was that process like for you? Yeah. Um, so like, obviously I founded the, 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 the foundation after my brother passed. So it's sort of in me to sort of, you know, um, I always joke, like, I think I'm a Kennedy, but I don't have the trust fund. Um, you know, I just start all these foundations. If I could, and I think in the mental health realm, that was bound to happen, you know, and I went through what I think a lot of people go through when they start working on themselves, where you think you want to be a coach for a minute, you want to save everybody. And, you know, and I realized that it wasn't what I wanted to do. I loved coaching when I was doing it too, but it just, okay, this isn't it kind of thing. And so I was just sort of in that place of allowing and sort of in that surrender, this keeps coming back full circle, but like, I was not like a typical man but I am a man, you know, and I, I was raised by strong, powerful women. And I say raised, not because anybody was absent, but just like I said earlier, like, you know, and I danced on scholarship through school. I, you know, like I just not your 101 masculinity of time gone by, obviously. Um, but I am a man. Yeah, I am a man. So like I had this whole thing where it was like, no, there's no other word for it. And that like the, and then when Matt had those statistics that 93% of men don't even identify with what masculinity is portrayed as. And then, you know, with, with the close the gap that, you know, you have 77% of men feeling stress, depression, or anxiety, and 40% say they would only ask for help if they were doing self-harm or thinking of suicide. I mean, that's huge. And then obviously from my own awareness, like, again, like, my best friend that I grew up with 30 years since birth, our dads lived in houses across from townhouses. Our dads died within two years of each other the exact same way, like both dads, like by suicide. And these like were men that that's just not what was, you know. So I knew I there was something about it. But to be honest, I had to come into my own like around like feeling rightfully like and feeling ownership over the fact that like I am a man and I am a part of this community and like we can all work together and um it was a weird combination of, of what Matt was bringing to the table and me realizing through men's groups and like men's excellence groups and, and all of the all of my healing after the accident how much I really resonated with the male experience and sort of, you know, cause I did it in different ways. I wasn't like, you know, macho and like, you know, stoic, but I definitely tried to overachieve my way out of emotions. I definitely tried to 
do what you do in your early 20s out of your emotions. Like I definitely, you know, had my fun that wasn't that fun. It was quite destructive, you know, like, so, and, and I wasn't alone in that. And I started meeting all these guys that like, you'd never guess are just like wanting to talk about this stuff and telling each other they love each other. And just like, I don't know, like, I was just like, so relieved because I've always had that. My, my bros from home, like we all love each other. We hug each other. Like, you know, it's like, I always say that I'm like, there's nothing gayer than guys who have known each other since they were four. You know what I mean? I'm allowed to say that. Um, (laughs) Don't worry. Um, But really they're like, just like the love, the palpable, like, you know, love that's not friends anymore. That's family, you know, but um, I think every guy wants that, you know, and I think that it doesn't matter. You know, we say this thing with Tether, it's like a team for life. Like I'm finding that every guy either wanted to be on that team, you know, from that movie where you go, whatever the championship is, but you just go blindly, you know, Mighty Duck style, like Green Mile, like whatever it is, like, um, you know, like they just, they wanted to be with a group of guys that no matter what the outcome was, you supported each other and you worked together. And then there's guys that always wanted to be on that team. And then there's the guys that got to be on those teams and just are constantly grieving because they don't have the brotherhood and the camaraderie that they had while they were on those teams. And so it's like, we can build a team for life. Like nobody gets aged out. Nobody, like, I mean, this is for this. It's all that, those same principles, but just for every part of life, celebrate, support, whatever. And, you know, obviously talking about it, I light up, but like it just, I was supposed to just champion and consult when Matt first brought up the idea and it was like an hour became a day, which became a week and, you know, obviously co-founder and mm-hmm. brand. Um, but like, it just, it was just so obvious and so natural. And, and it's just, I mean, this should not be the greatest killer of men under 45. Like it just, it shouldn't be, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't have to be. So if I can in some way be a part of that, um, and to be honest, I, I want to be, uh, I didn't go into this earlier until I made that deal because I didn't know until I made that deal, what it feels like to get that low and you know, to really feel it didn't make any sense. I was completely supported by anybody who would listen to me. I had a team of doctors because of the accident, like put me in that situation where, you know, I was literally being monitored. I had a coach, a therapist, a psychologist, and a psychiatrist. Like, you know, no one had more access to, and it just was me and me and what it is to be a man. And I almost lost in that. And so I think it just, it wasn't specific, but it just aligned so perfectly. And it was incredibly empowering to step up as a spokesperson and to have Matt championing me do that and bring my story to the forefront as a fucking man, you know, who wants to help other men. Like, I just, I, I've never said this before out loud, but I, I'm realizing this as I say that, that, that is such a big part of this for me, you know, because like, you know, if you wanted to talk about man stuff, I wouldn't be like, you know, like in the past, I wouldn't be like, oh, that's me, put me in, like, you know, like, let's, yeah. But then here we are building this community where pretty much all I do is talk, some guys couldn't even form sentences eight months ago, and now they're like completely emotionally literate to each other. Like, I mean, you know, one of our users goes from not even being able to speak to anyone to being a poster boy in the New York Times for men's mental health. Like, and using tether over the last year like it's just like it's incredible and everybody wants that you know i i 
you know, like you said at the beginning, it's it's connection and it's story driven. And, you know, I really thought I was going to end up on a set sooner than later, like show running. But this is like just better than any sort of created TV world. These are real narratives with real people. And like when they have those triumphs and when they come back to the group and they join this team for life, like it's real. And it's uh, it's really cool just to get to be a part of that. And yeah, I love my job in case you didn't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't consider myself like a brand person or, you know, that's obviously no. a title or whatever. Yeah, but, not, a, yeah. But, not yeah. at all. Not no, at all. You don't, you don't, didn't recite all of that off at all. Uh-uh. <laughs> didn't come out smooth. No. <laughs> Never does, you know. Never no, I was, being, I, was, I was being sarcastic. That was great. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I appreciate that. I think that very well answered your question. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Absolutely. With like a realization of like, I'm a man. Like I just put the table and like, I'm a man. Just close the laptop. <laughs> You'll yell it in the street. Honestly. I think every guy has that moment, you know, mm-hmm. eventually. It's like, yeah, this is what being a man is not what you keep thinking it's supposed to be. It's like mm-hmm. that fixing Absolutely. thing, you know, honor it. You're inside of it. It's if it is your experience, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, um, but that's it's very empowering even you know so many people didn't understand like with putting your pronouns if you just feel like you you're, you know you're male and then with with trans awareness day recently like i i did find that very empowering to put my pronouns up so that one i'm acknowledging that pronouns can be different you know and everyone identifies as they identify but my own identification like if it felt important to me yes mm. he him i'm a dude not what i thought a dude was supposed to be for all my life you know, um, and I, I don't know, I think it's pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. That's great. Um, so for, for time's sake, I mean, we could talk for hours and hours. This conversation continue. We have more questions. I'm sure you have questions for us. Uh, this is definitely going to be a conversation that we'll want to continue. But for time's sake, we just have a couple of things to wrap up. First and foremost, we do have a really exciting announcement coming at the end of this. So stay tuned just after these last components. But before we get to our very last question, um, where can people find you? Where can they um, be a part of your space, social platforms, all that stuff? Where can they find you? Um, I am personally Addison Brazil, A-D-D-I-S-O-N. Brazil, like the country, but with an S, as my dad used to say. Um, and then Tether is Tether for Men, T-E-T-H-R for Men, F-O-R-M-E-N. Uh, and we're on all the socials. Obviously, if you identify as male and any of this has resonated, download Tether. We're, um, as you guys know, we're very, Matt and I are very accessible through Tether. We're very much a part of the community. Like you said, we've built a community that we wanted. So um, we're there and there's a lot going on there. Um, the tethered blog comes out once a week. It's at tether.men as well. And which has become a beautiful engine of sort of guest voices and writers, um, which is great. Actually, you owe me a blog, sir. Um, you do. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's where you find me. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, so last question. This one is inspired from uh, Lewis Howes a little bit. He finishes off with a question that's really powerful. And I think that uh, it's always great to rephrase it and make it very much in tune with what we're speaking on. So if you knew you were gonna pass away tomorrow, right? You knew you you were gonna pass away tomorrow, 
all your apps, all your socials, all the impact you've made, it's gone. It's taken mm-hmm. away. But you were given an opportunity to speak to all men in the world all at once before you passed away, what message or messages would you leave them with? Um, there's nothing to fix, but there's a lot to honor. And so just honor the journey, honor all of it. Um, and if you really let that sink in, it will mean more and more and more to you. But um, there's no answer, there's no quick fix, there's no long fix. It's not about being fixed. You're whole and in your integrity, it's just about honoring all of that, all of it, even the parts you don't like or learning to love, I should say. Um, that's it. Um, honor the journey, guys. Beautiful. Love that. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Look at so this romance. <laughs> it's that, 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 to me, even when you first said that in the conversation way earlier, I felt it in my body. Um, and then to end in that just is perfect. You know, I think that that is really something that you can really take away is I think every sometimes every morning I wake up and I'm like, I have a toolkit that I'm trying to fix something. I feel like every day I'm trying mm. to fix something. Like mm. I feel like every waking moment, every phone call I take, every there's pockets where I'm like bliss and I'm not trying to fix something, but the bulk of my work I carry in my shoulders and in, in this persona that I got to fix something in April, that's going to help me in May. And then when May comes, mm-hmm. I fix something that helps me for June. And I think you've just given me an awakening moment of just put the damn toolbox down, man. You're not fixing anything mm-hmm. and, and be more present with where you're at and what you're doing and how it makes you feel and what you want it, um, how you want to feel about it. So I really do appreciate those words because I'm taking a lot away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like don't use the tools to fix something, use the tools to build something. Mm-hmm. and create something I like that yeah, yeah. and also just, like if you're ever using tools you're not like i'm using a hammer i'm you know <laughs> like it's like it doesn't have to be for you or for anyone else like this you know trust that yeah i have a toolkit mm-hmm. you can't see it i use the tools as i need them you know i'm thriving mm-hmm. you know that's that's what that is and then the, the, again the justifying right the justifying. The justifying. <laughs> it's going to be a fun week. You guys keep each other on it. It's it's fun. But just notice. You're like justifying, measuring, and comparison. Mm-hmm. Fun. I love it. So the announcement that we have for the audience today, this is the official announcement of the partnership between modern masculinity and Tether. We are so, so pumped to finally have announced that we've been waiting for so long. We've been teasing on socials, but (laughs) couldn't pick a better, better, better first partner. I think Addison, what you and Matt have done and are doing is incredible to be able to be so aligned with the idea of lowering some of those statistics that you rattled off, being a part of you know, a journey, like you say, of contributing to a more conscious and more mentally healthy group of men is something that I think that we couldn't be more honored to be a part of or um, more honored to be like we we were saying, I will never want to take off a tether hoodie because what they stand for is not something that ends. And like you said, it's a team Mm. for life. 
there's no reason to ever put it down and there's no better partnership that we could have asked for right off the hop but we're going to turn it to you and you know we're going to be um obviously sharing tether information on our on our podcast but for the first first time we want you to take the mic what is the tether experience like from your words yeah um so tether is a peer enabled mental health and well-being app for all male identifying individuals and i mean essentially what we're doing is we've created this community and through 24/7 access to peer support and programming we are just trying to help guys align with the purpose and meaning that um that makes them who they are um and it's definitely not brand approved end of that sentence but you know what I'm the head of brand so I can say it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah no it's just you know it's just evolving so much and you really you know download it witness what's going on in there and then there's all the obviously the other elements now with our pods and what's growing in with accountability brotherhood and all that stuff so um you know please if you're listening to this and any of this resonates download it and then let me know what it is for you because that's the phase we're kind of at it's it's really cool we've created the container and now we're learning what what it is um and you guys can be less ambiguous in your future mentions of tether of course but uh, it's in both app stores and tether.men is the website. Beautiful, beautiful. And I have a lot of a personal experience with this app already and I've shared a lot and I've been engaging a lot and uh, I've found it incredibly resourceful. I just posted actually last night uh, or two nights ago. And the reason I did was because I was feeling some type of way. And my first actual thought was, I know this is a safe container. Um, this is probably a great place to share this. And I don't even have any expectations or anything coming from it because that's not what it's about. It's just right. simply about that being there, that little orange circle pops up and you're like, okay, someone's there. And that's it. That's literally it. And it's, and yet it's so empowering based on the simplicity of it all. So I can speak to it a lot. Uh, and so I'm honestly, I'm just really grateful that we get the chance to have this conversation and future conversations plus future partnerships and the one we yes. currently have. It's it's an open door and I'm excited. Welcome to the family, guys. Appreciate you having us. More than happy to be here. <laughs> now we need the merch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Need that hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> well, just to wrap up then, um, this has been a conversation with Addison Brazil. Um, as he's mentioned, he is the brand. Um, what's the, what other parts is your, you're the brand ambassador, co-founder. I, mean, co yeah, I don't, I don't think I did in you startup justice. world, it's like roll up your sleeves, like, yeah, we do it all. <laughs> I know Matt's the CEO and then we just all like, you know, uh, but technically head of brand and impact. Yeah. Head of brand gotcha. and impact. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the modern masculinity episode. Um, we don't have a PQ for you this week, but no. tune in, uh, every Wednesday. This has been a conversation with Addison Brazil. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. If you haven't yet, please download, subscribe, leave a review. But most importantly, if you took any value out of this episode or you enjoyed this episode, please post and share with your close family and friends. You can follow us at our online IG account, which is at Modern Masculinity. Make sure the C is a K. Remember, we're trying to represent the mask that men wear. So at Modern Mask, Unity Podcast. You can also follow us on our private socials. Mine is at Coach Kyle Rushton. And mine is Anwar Ahmed 4. 
And uh, any kind of post share that you do helps us kind of build this community one listener at a time. So we appreciate um, all your efforts. And remember, we're here with you. We are standing tall beside you in this arena of misunderstood masculinity. Until next time, peace.